listening to the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'm your host, Jane Nakata, a New Zealander living her best life in Fukushima, Japan. I'm a podcast consultant and the creator of Pod Launch with Jane, a system that helps you create your dream podcast without all the drama and hassle, leaving you more free time to do the things you love to do. This show is for people who want to hear stories of women who are doing amazing things here in Japan and across the world. You'll find loads of inspiration for how you can live your best life wherever you are. I'm glad you're here. Let's get on with the show. Hi, Benny. Welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast. It's great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. And finally getting to talk with you. Yes, yes. We've been planning this episode for a few years. Is it a few years a now? few years now. A few yeah. years now. That's right. But it's happening. Yay. So I where are you that. calling in from today? So I am calling in from the lovely Hunter Valley. This is my first time overseas since COVID. Mm. And I'm over here doing a bit of work and doing a bit of play. Um, mostly work so far. So um yeah, so yeah. And I'm without children. Without children. Yeah, exciting. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit envious, but um, you know. <laughs> wow. So let me introduce you to one of my bestest friends in the whole wide world, Penelope Thompson, who is actually from New Zealand, but uh, in Australia today. And yes. it's really great to have you on the show. I'm very excited for everyone to hear your story. And it's your turn to have the mic today. Yeah. 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 So tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, what you do. Yeah, that'd be really great. Okay, sounds good. So, and I also thank you so much, amazing best friend. So it's lovely to finally be able to chat with you. And I was thinking the other day, so we met what? We met at university. First year. Yeah. First year, yeah. I, I have a very specific memory of seeing you for the first time, and I know exactly where we were. And I do think that there are those certain people that come into your lives, um, and you have always been that for me. And mm. I remember the first time I saw you, and I just immediately, and you were with a bunch of other people, you were in a crowd of people, and I saw you, and I just immediately knew that we were always going to be friends. And we were in Wellington, right? Obviously, were we yeah. downtown? Going no. downtown or something, or we in? in no, our... this is, I saw you. We were both at warehouse. Yeah. Okay. And I remember mm. it was on the upper floor, and you were in a, in a bunch of people. Mm. And yeah, it was the first time, and I just immediately, and I, I'm always strongly led by my gut and by instincts, and I just <laughs> knowing that we were going to be friends. And then well, look at us, really just a couple of years later, not twenty years plus, etc. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. It's we have special. We certainly have a special friendship and I remember seeing you for the first time as well so that was um yeah <laughs> yeah and here we are 25 how many years has it been maths is hard yeah um, we're both still very young though obviously mm. um yes yeah, so it's just probably easily a quarter of a century I think at this point <laughs> That's yeah right. yeah but we're, okay. still, we're still just 18 at heart right yeah yeah, nothing totally. Not, internally, nothing has changed. Yeah. <laughs> nice reasons, but other than that. Mm. So when things were going really, really crappy for me here in Japan in 2011, when my house was down the road from a festering nuclear disaster, you were the person who was like, right, what are, what are we doing here? What are, you know, how are we going to, like, even from New Zealand, you were somehow helping me. So, yeah, yeah. we've always sort of been there through big things and then 
four years ago. Yes. I will never forget the day when I got this email from you and I'm like, what the hell just happened? I will never, ever forget that that email you sent to me. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I am... And it was, it was almost, and it will be on um, the 15th of July. It will have been four years. And uh, I just think in life, there's those dates that just um, chiseled into your brain. Um, And I had been um, married for 13 years at that point. Mm -hmm. And I have three gorgeous boys. And um, I'd been with my husband since we were sort of 19 and 20. And then there was just this day where um, he came in and he said, there's something that I need to tell you. And that was mm. how, how he said it. And I remember just saying, okay, just give me a moment to catch my breath. <laughs> because I knew that whatever was you know when someone sort of What's coming day, next year is... and I was like and I just remember saying okay just give me a moment and I just took a number of deep breaths and I said just give me a moment I'm just going to catch my breath hmm. and then I said okay what is it um and he said um a lot of things but what I remember most was that he said um I've changed my mind I thought I wanted um, marriage and kids and the house and all of this. And I've changed my mind. And then he told me that he was leaving and that he was leaving right at that precise moment. And I'm off now. I'm off. Yeah. Yeah. So literally there was, I had five minutes where my entire life as Mm. I'd ever known it and my Mm. entire vision for what I thought was my very secure and predictable laid out in front of me future would look like um, exploded. Um, And at that point, I also said, okay, you're not leaving just now. I'm going to go out for half an hour and then I'll come back because I just needed to leave that space. Mm. And it turned out that um, he'd been having affairs Mm. as well. And I had no knowledge of that. And I think the thing is, there's this widely known narrative, right, that that you know, um, or that you must know. And I think the thing with me is that I've always had a really strong sense of self. I've always had a high sense of self-worth. And I do think that self-worth and self-esteem can be quite different. I think I've got quite good self-esteem, but I know who I am. Mm. And I know the value of me. Mm. And I just never thought that anyone would do that to me. Right. Yeah. That was it. So like, no, I wasn't that person. I've never been checking phones. I don't check emails. I don't question it because I know that I'm a good person. Mm. And I just, when people say, but you must have known, I said, well, why, why would I ever be wandering around in my life anticipating that kind of a thing Mm. to happen, to look for signs? And also I think it's really important to say, that he was my favorite person. Yeah. And, and I think, um, and I think even, I think the person that I married and spent 19 years of my life with is not the person that that person turned out to be. Mm. Um, but you know, he was my, he was my favorite person, but who, who he turned out to be and, and a number of other things I obviously discovered after the fact, uh, was not, was not the same person. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it was it was the definition of blindsiding. 
And I was also in a very vulnerable situation because I was a stay-at-home mum at that point. I didn't earn a single dollar in a year, so I had no source of income. Um, and I had these three gorgeous boys, and my youngest was three at the time. Yeah, yeah. you had little kids at home, I had right? very, very yeah. little kids, and, and mm. we can also touch on a little bit more about the boys later, but um, mm. two of my kids are neurodiverse on the autism spectrum. All of my children have quite complicated medical backgrounds. I had spent a lot of the sort of 19 years that I was at home in Starship, uh, which is our local Auckland Children's Hospital. Yes. Um, yes. Doing things like yes. having children have brain surgery. Mm. Um, you know, as a family, we have an ambulance membership. So, um, you know, in addition to play dates and baking, uh, that, that that was my role. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, to like, keep these children alive. Yes, keep the children alive in a very yeah. real sense on a daily basis. In a, in a yes. very, in a very, mm. very real, we've had multiple mm. life three protocols. With yes. these particular children. Um, <laughs> I've not heard of, I'm sorry, I've not heard of an ambulance membership, but I can imagine yeah. it's $50 a, a go or something, isn't it? Right? If you need I to think use it's it. like $80 or $90. And oh, they're like, now it is. Yeah. At this right. point, we should just have a membership. And I was like, that is absolutely what I thought I was going to need in my life like a gym membership, an ambulance membership, <laughs> one subscription. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good <laughs> so, yeah. So that's, that's what happened. Um, Four years ago, it was mm. um, literally, it feels like, um, you know, chapters of a book um, and that that my entire life as I knew it uh, yes. changed within a five minute um, period. So there's kind of like the before stage mm. and there's the after stage. And I've always, you know, loved words and um, my career, I work in public relations, but quotes have always been really important to me. And there was one at that time there were two quotes that were really important to me, but the first is a C.S. Lewis one that I really latched on to, mm. which is the idea that you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and you can change the ending. Mm. Yeah, mm. you can't go back and change the beginning. So, you know, you, you don't know all of the things that you know at the middle piece. Yeah. So you can't go back and change the beginning, mm. but you can start where you are and you can change the ending. Mm. And I think when something as devastating as this happens and it was it was devastating for me but also so so devastating for my children and I just had a really strong sense that you can't control other people's behavior you can't control the things that happened to you yeah. um very rarely can you but I um you know really put a fire in my belly and I just felt I'm not going to allow anyone to change the outcome of my family's yeah, story yeah. or dictate what that is going to look like. That's not who I am. Mm. I will not allow that to happen. Um, and I'm going to show these children what it looks like and what we do when hard things happen. And I'm going to walk them through this and we are going to create the most amazing, glorious life for ourselves um, that is better than anything that I could have imagined. And it was doing that while also just living in the just visceral devastation mm. of something right. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so many goosebumps there. <laughs> was it, did you tell me that, was it your grandfather who used to hang out with C.S. Lewis or something? Yeah. In, in, in Oxford back in the old days? Is that, am I remembering That's that right? Her. 
Yes, so my grandfather went to Oxford University after the war Mm. and um, he was at Merton College and he was at Oxford at an amazing time. So his, the system they have at Oxford is they have a tutoring system um, and, but it's someone who's kind of responsible for your group and his person was Tolkien. Oh, Tolkien, right. Yes, Yes. it was very good friends Tolkien. But as you do, he knew C.S. Lewis. Um, he yeah. you know would tell him stories about going into the Bodleian Library and seeing him there. And yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. And that quote stood out to you from C.S. Lewis. It, That's yeah. kind of like a ah goosebumps. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So your life blew up in five minutes. It did. The life that you thought you were going to have blew up in five minutes. Um, and you came eventually (laughs) not like five minutes later you didn't come out the other side but you came out the other end and so tell us some of the things that have happened since that time Um, and how you made it work for you and we talked a little bit before we press record about having like a divorce coach or something and how you thought that that would be necessary (laughs) and those things don't seem to exist why don't they exist for especially for women right um, oh, it's, it's absolutely. And I think, you know, growing up, I hold marriage in really high regard. Um, mm-hmm. My parents, um, you know, my dad obviously recently passed away, but my parents were married for 52 years. Mm-hmm. Um, there kind of wasn't divorce in my family. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think, um, so I didn't have examples of it uh, to refer to or to know how this might work. And I think one of the things for me is I don't view marriage as perfect. I don't have this sort of magical princess, um, view of it, but what I do have is I just think it's like life's greatest self-improvement program. It's like, you know, steroids, you know what I mean? And it's, and it's a commitment and it's knowing that you change so much in your life, but I just, for me, it was like, this is, this is a self-improvement program mm-hmm. a marriage and you work with and it's a partnership and it's a teaming and it's and I think the thing for me is I am idealistic at the best of times but I'm also very much a realist so um we had a deal uh at the when we wanted to get married and I was married at 25 and that deal was that hey we're very young it's highly likely we're going to come across other people who kind of float our boat Um, in in life but we had a deal that if that were to happen that we wouldn't pursue that without first having a conversation Mm. with each other and and I've mentioned that to people now and they find that just bloody hilarious um and I'm like I would have done that right (laughs) my my side that that seems normal like a something I would do yeah Mm -hmm. that is absolutely something that I would um Mm. that I would have done and we just yeah. stop and I just need to say there is no more loyal person than you in the whole wide world. And um, yeah, unfortunately it didn't, you didn't find someone as loyal to partner with and yeah. yeah right. So yeah. Yeah. Cheerful here, but yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> what were we yeah, talking so moving about? On. Uh, and yeah. I, I did. Yeah. And I think there were a lot of ways in which I did that, but I just remember I had this really clear image of myself as being like a tree and I was just like I am strong and I'm stable and my roots are deep Mm. and I just remember kind of watching him it felt like him just whirling around like Mm. like leaves I remember Mm. just thinking I'm just going to stay very very still and I'm going to get my ducks in a row as fast as I possibly can so what that looked like for me so this happened on a Sunday 
Mm. I then found the best divorce lawyer in the nation uh, and managed to get an appointment with um, her on a Tuesday. But, you know, there are those funny moments because I just think, you know, what's life without humour? But I remember going and turning up in her offices and I had to have a friend drive me. Mm. Deep in trauma at the point. And she said to me, I gave my story and I said, right, so we, we just need to get this sorted. We just need to get this sorted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she said, right, so when 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 is the separation date? And I said, Sunday. And she said, <laughs> what, what, what month, what? Um, and I was like, no, no, it was it was Sunday. Two days let's ago, Sunday. <laughs> That's it. I was oh. like, let's get this done. Yeah. Yeah. Because I knew that I needed to move really quickly to shore things up. I knew mm. it was a very vulnerable situation. Yeah. Yeah. And what it also looked like for me, having not worked in so many years, um, is I reached out to everyone I knew in my industry who was now in a hiring position. Mm-hmm. Um, and the irony of that is a lot of those people had been people who had been reporting to me, but it continued <laughs> their careers. Right. Yeah. And I just went out. And I think that that was the thing. I kind of, in my life, have a shame-free policy. So a lot of people when they were honest with me, said, you know, weren't you embarrassed that this had happened to you? Like, didn't you just feel humiliated? Mm. And I said, you know, I totally understand that kind of thinking. Yeah. But, you know, I'm I'm choosing not to feel like that. Like, I did not do this. The fact that someone else (laughs) did this to me, I'm not going to feel, I choose to not feel embarrassed and humiliated. Mm. I think there are two options and I've seen a bunch of friends do both. Mm. One is you completely go to ground. You don't want anyone to know what's going on because mm. it is embarrassing. Like there's no way to say that this is not an embarrassing thing to have happened to you. Sure. But I just decided in my instance, I'm going broad. And, and by that, I mean, you know, I'm a huge believer in the village. I was aware of the degree to which I needed help. Mm. Um, and whether that was I needed help to get gainful employment or mm. with the school. And I just decided this is, I'm not going to hide in this situation, I am going to let people know what is going on. I am going to encourage them to reach out and offer to help. Mm. And every single time that someone offers me help, I'm going to say, yes, please. Mm-hmm. And so that looks like everything from, like I said, um, reaching out to people. And I just was really honest and said, hi, the shit has hit the fan. Yes. Here is what has happened. I need to start working again. Mm-hmm. I'm aware I've been out of this for almost a decade. Can we catch up? Can we meet? Um, and I think when you, I know that fundamentally I'm a really good person and I think I know what my work ethic is. I know the career I had built for myself beforehand. And I think it's also remembering people want to help and it doesn't matter how long you've been out of that, um, who you are as a person stands. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so really quickly, I had a number of um, job offers and I was, I, was yes. back, I was back working within two weeks. I was back working. Right. Yeah. And from a school perspective, it just looked like I just said, can I have a meeting? And I just went in there and I spoke to the principal and I spoke to the deputy principal and I said, here's what's happened. I need you to know what's happening in my life right now. I'm just going to be really, I'm an open book. Ask me any questions you can have. I would love your advice on what I should do. Please let me know. I will make all final decisions. So nobody worry about if I choose to do the right thing that it's coming back on you, but Mm. please tell me what you think I should do. Yeah. what the school say to you about it like as from their perspective of seeing obviously seeing men multiple children going through this sort of situation um I remember they cried oh did they yeah Mm. (laughs) 
I mean, you were very close to your children's school. You help out a lot and you're, you're there a yeah. lot. So they know you. You're, you're not just the parent who comes occasionally uh-huh. <laughs> when they absolutely yeah, have to, think, right? Kind and of, I yeah. think that that was the thing, that they mm. were just, a lot of people I think were quite devastated sure. on my behalf. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like I was just very vulnerable. I'm a huge believer in, you know, vulnerability is our greatest strength. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that one of the things that I felt so hard as I felt okay with how I was doing right um, but I hated having to tell people not because of the shame thing because we put that to the side mm. but because of seeing their faces and that's yeah. the stuff that just seeing when you tell people yeah how devastated they are on behalf and that mm. was the thing that would always make me cry is yeah. not that I was going through it but just seeing the pain in other people's faces mm. like that that was actually probably the hardest um mm. the hardest thing yeah, and I did other things as well. So obviously I had to get back working. I was very open to school. I was very open, as you know. <laughs> I was like, hey, just flicking you an email. For- <laughs> this happened. My yeah. entire life just mm. exploded. Here are the mm. details. Any advice? Um, <laughs> but I also I did other things. Um, I wanted to know that I was giving this my best shot, right. which even saying that's hilarious. But so what I did is um, I spoke to a child psychologist very quickly and because my children are on the spectrum, there's an amazing resource in Auckland called Rainbow House, uh, where they have child psychologists that specialize in children on the spectrum and ADHD. So I reached out and said, I need to come and see you. And I said, you know, I just want to know, I know this is not going to be pretty. There's no way it's going to go well, but I need to know that I'm trying to do this the best that I can. And I want to know that I'm wrapping all of the supports that I possibly can around my children. Yeah. So yeah. What that looked like is I booked in a running weekly appointment with them and whichever child was struggling the most at that point, or even if they weren't struggling, I would just roll my kids in right. and have them sit with right. her and talk about what they needed to. And then we would, so I wanted to know that they had the very best level of support around them. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It also looked like my sitting in a session with the amazing um, Kate Eastman and saying, how do I tell these children? Yeah, because it's all of these other things that you don't think about, like they don't know yet what yeah, has happened. Yeah, <laughs> how are they to understand this situation? Yeah, and yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to do that on the fly. I wanted mm. to have a script, and again, part of that probably speaks back to my public relations background. I was like, what are the key <laughs> messages? <laughs> what are the key yeah. messages, mm-hmm. and what are we saying? Mm-hmm. So I literally worked out bullet points with her. I rehearsed saying it. I memorized it and to then tell, to then mm-hmm. tell the children mm-hmm. right. what was actually happening. Yeah. Mm. So four years has passed since the day it and has. it's been an up and down four years. That's yeah. for sure. Um, there's been some <laughs> horrifically low times and some yeah, really great stuff has, has happened as well. Yes. Um, but I've watched you just take this and just go, if there is anything I'm going to ace, it's going to be this. And yeah. it's it's been amazing to watch and so inspirational. So I hope that for people who are listening, who are potentially going through the same thing or about to go through it or something that they will get some ideas for how you can, yeah, go through this situation. And yeah, yeah let's like, yeah, seriously, can we get some divorce coaches <laughs> happening I mean, yeah. well, this is this is what we were saying right is that um 
it's it's a it's a path that you ignore. I don't think there's many people that go right as my backup plan now that I'm married. Let's plan for what getting divorced might look like, and always mm. keep that in the back of our minds. And I think, and I had people who I reached out to who had been through this and who were like mentors for me mm-hmm. that said, "Here's what you need to do from the practical side. Like here's here are the numbers for the divorce lawyer. Here are the people for getting your house valued. Here is what this all mm. kinds of looks like. Here is the paperwork." But then they were also like. Um, here's what it looks like to parent and for me very quickly I embrace the term independent mum because I hate solo and I hate single and the reasons for that yes, yes. That let's talk about this rebranding that happened this yes. rebranding we are we are independent mums so mm. we're not solo because we're not doing it by ourselves I have um, the most broad and deep support network yes. uh, I'm not I'm not by myself I'm not solo um, and I also don't really like single because I don't see that my relationship status has any relevance to my mothering. Right. You know, I'm an independent mum and I'm um, forging this path forward with my children independently. I'm yes. not doing it solo by myself. And um, I mean, I'm not single now anyway, but that's irrelevant <laughs> yeah. to my mothering. Yeah, right. Like why are we putting, yeah, your relationship status with in there with the parenting? I know. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. So now things are looking very different. Like obviously you are able to travel. I mean, you have three, three kids, you have this network that you have created that lets yeah. you travel when travel's allowed, which is, you know, starting now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you do amazing work. You recently helped uh, do a music festival, wasn't it? I saw you up I there. I did. I did. Um, I've recently moved to an amazing, amazing company called Maya. Mm. Um, and they are Aotearoa, New Zealand's um, home of kaupapa-driven communications. So um, for anyone listening, kaupapa is about your values and your purpose. Um, and all of the clients that we work with um, are purpose-driven. They have a greater why behind um, their organizations and what they're trying to do. I think for me, it was really important to start to do some work that made a real difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always done pro bono work as well with different organizations because I'm aware that um, public relations is quite a skill set and that the people who need it the most are often the people who can't afford it. So yeah. I've always, always, always um, done pro bono, which is partly to make myself feel better about that a lot of the work, you know, historically is about making corporates even more money. And yeah, I'm like, they, sure. don't, they don't need me to be the person to do that. So mm-hmm. I think you get to a point in your career where you want to be doing things um, that, that have a greater why behind them. So that's 100% of the clients that we work with um, meet that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. I love the the organizations you're working with there. They just look really great. And yeah, the, that um, music festival you were like helping run that I'm like, yes. I'm too old for this. How are you doing this? Like I'm feeling exhausted just looking at this, what's going on at this music festival. Um, yeah. yeah. And so that was, that was with um, a farm, the far North Iwi called um, Nati Kuri mm. and it was the Hikoi to 100 campaign. Um, it was all about, uh, working with the Iwi to increase their vaccination rates because right. um, COVID went with it, uh, in New Zealand. Um, we were finding that particularly within the Māori um, community, their vaccination rates were just that bit lower. And it was an aspirational um, target. They're the Iwi that first used the term hikoi. Uh, and right. it was about turning 
activism into actionism. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, very much them working with their own people rather than people from outside coming in. Yeah. And it was a huge success. It was also about building iwi resilience because I think we all know um, the history and the, particularly the history with this particular iwi with pandemics has been appalling. Yeah. Um, when you think about the Spanish flu and tuberculosis, you know, this, um, it was about more broadly building that um, iwi resilience. And one way we look to do that is um, particularly with rangatahi, who are the young people mm-hmm. who aren't as interested, we know is getting um, vaccinated. Uh, we came up with this idea to hold a music festival. There's never been a music festival that far north before. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, so it's a very natural festival. area of Japan, uh, New Zealand, sorry. It's a very natural area of New Zealand up there. There's not much, right? No. Yeah. So it was up north in Kaitaia, and mm. we partnered with Dawn Raid. We managed to get the most amazing musicians and acts to support the Kaupapa. Uh, so everyone from Shafu to Savage to Lady Six to Jackson Owens. We had some amazing people and um, Brother D who was also um, involved in, in that and everyone really got behind the Kaupapa. And we, the, the scenario was that you had to be double vaxxed to be able to attend. It was about creating a safe space for people mm. to start to be able to come back together again, which was really important. Um for that iwi and it was mm. a way to um, do that so we had three and a half thousand people Amazing. in the Awe Awe rugby club um field <laughs> is uh, that where it was <laughs> yeah right I went to the rugby club oh. uh, and it was and it was amazing and it was amazing um to it was the first music festival that New Zealand's had since Omicron and I think it's really fitting that the far north is the tip that points Aotearoa out to the rest of the world mm. and, you know, myself finally being overseas for the first time, it was about, you know, more broadly Aotearoa exiting and reaching back out to the world again. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yay. Yay for that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And so <laughs> let's segue into your boys, your my beautiful boy. three boys. And yes. So if anyone does parenting well as Penny, you you really inspire me with your enthusiasm. Not only do you do your career so well, but also the way that you love and parent your boys is amazing. And you mentioned before that two of them are on the spectrum. Yes. And but there are three. Three <laughs> <laughs> entire people. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and the oldest and- one is Third well, this is the thing. Do you know what? Do you know what's so complicated? I know. We'll see. Like every damn year, the ages change, and so yeah, it's like, how are we supposed to keep track of this? How are we yeah. supposed to? He will be fourteen in, in August. August, right? Yeah. And Mister Gus just turned twelve last weekend. Yes, yes. Um, and Hugh is seven and a half because the half's really don't important. forget the half. Yeah, don't forget the half. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Tell us about them. My three amazing boys. So Mm. I was always that person that had desperately looked forward to becoming a mum. And, you know, I was that person growing up where I would just be able to sniff out if there was a baby in the neighbourhood um, and would sort of be sitting on their doorsteps just waiting for them to bring the baby home. Hi. Would you like to bring childcare? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I I know it's it's different for everyone, but for me, um, you know, I know uh, being the mother to these particular children is my vocation. Mm. Um, I firmly believe that that's why I am here on this planet is to be a particular mum. And yeah, and it's something that I t- I tell them, 
you know, each night when I um, put them to bed that, you know, I'm the luckiest mum in the whole world because I get to be their mummy. And they're very complicated and it's complex. Mm. Um, so Mr. Elliot, um, all of my children were born early. So he was born six weeks early. So he spent his first two um, weeks in NICU, which is an amazing facility and also highly traumatizing. I still have the thing yeah. of the smell, you know, just uh. randomly. There's a smell of disinfectant that must yeah. be brand specific. <laughs> <laughs> I just randomly smell that somewhere and it's just um, absolutely takes Brings me back. It all back. So, yeah. You know, feeding tube and all of that, mm. um, that stuff. Um, and then what I noticed with Elliot is when he was about, he never ever crawled, which is not considered a developmental milestone, but he didn't have any of those transitional movements. But also, it's you know, it's your first child. Um, yeah, and, what do you know, right? Nothing. Like, this yeah. doesn't seem quite right. I'm seeing other mm. children who are doing different mm. things. It's like he's fine. It's all good. And I'm like, I don't want something to not be right, but I'm right. seeing something here. Mm. So I, you know, really did have to advocate for that. And then um, he walked when he was 19 months. Right. And but we also noticed that he had like quite a large head, which I was like, amazing. The child's head is so big because of all the brains. I think that yes. that's what he's yeah. just so smart. <laughs> so smart. Well, he and is so then, smart, um, isn't he? Though. <laughs> um, and then we did, um, and I was like, I had a. I'm sure that I had a huge head. Like I remember all these. Don't don't. Isn't that what we just do? We just have big heads. Uh, but then we had him assessed, and it turned out that he had a condition called Chiari one malformation. And the long and short of that, it's when the cerebral tonsils, if you imagine, they're supposed to have, an, there's supposed to be enough space for the brain fluid to circulate. Mm. Uh, that was not the case for him. So his um, cerebral tonsils dropped down into the spinal canal. So just before he turned three, he had brain surgery. Mm. Uh, and what yeah. they did is they sliced down the back of the neck and they removed some of the vertebrae to create, to falsely create the ability for the brain fluid to circulate as it should and they put a spinal catheter or shunt in um but because what happens with this condition um is that often there's a pulsing of the brain fluid because it doesn't have enough space into the spinal cord so he has a syrinx in his spinal cord that probably won't ever go away um he has gr gross um motor delays he has fine motor delays um mentally he's great <laughs> But like he's ne he's never going to ride a bike. Um, we we persevere, <laughs> but that's probably not going to happen. Um, you know he he can't tie his shoes, um, those kinds of things. Um, but helpfully he was also not a particularly sporty kid. It's just it's just kind of not his thing. Um, he's highly bookish. You'll never see Elliot without a book in his yeah, hand. Yeah, he's always got one, hasn't he? Yeah. Somehow he's always yeah. sneaking a book around with him. So. <laughs> yeah, like I know I have yeah. actually, like I love so much um, you saying how you, you think I'm an amazing mum and I appreciate that. Um, also, one, I make up absolutely everything and it does also include things like removing light bulbs from Elliot's room so that he can't <laughs> read because he hasn't got any light. He needs to go to sleep, right? Yeah. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah, that's, that's, just, uh, that's the dedication to the books, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's, um, and not sleep. So he yeah. that. And then um, he has anxiety. So two of my children are on anxiety medication. And he was diagnosed with Asperger's, which is now obviously doesn't it doesn't exist. <laughs> so everything's now autism spectrum disorder. Right. And yes, and so um, that's that's his situation. Um, Mr. Gus is also autistic, 
and uh, he also has ADHD. Both of them have ADHD. It's, it's thought that it could be as high as sort of 70% of children um, who are on the autism spectrum also have ADHD. Mm. What else does Gus have? Anxiety. Um, he used to wear a hearing aid. His hearing is just slightly under normal, but at the end of the day, I've never known that kid to not be able to hear anything, particularly any form of whispering. So I was like, let's just move right. off from it. Mm-hmm. None of my children have eardrums. And then Mr. Hugh is my uh, neurotypical kid, but he's the one that had the ambulance membership. So he had really horrendous asthma between when he was sort of between two and three. Um, he was admitted into the hospital at least seven times. We hung out in A&E for at least another sort of 15 times, just waiting for that period of the virus where he would stop breathing to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so complex. Um, a lot going on with just on. that. Mm. Yes. <laughs> so obviously this has re- required you to almost get a medical degree in, yes. right? And a sort of like a layman's medical degree. There are some yeah. people, you know, you've had to learn all these things and that. And also with their um, ADHD and being on the spectrum, all, you know, not just the physical health, but also, you know, how to help them be successful in this world or you know, have a good life in this world. You have obviously learned a lot about what it is like to raise neurodiverse children. I think there's coming a time and I just hear not daily, but so often, oh, my child has been diagnosed as neurodiverse in some way. And oh, me too, by the way, like the parents, right. It's also, and then they're in shock as well, but then they're kind of like, oh, so that's that sort of answers some questions I've always had about certain things about myself. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So what, what have been some of the things that you'd like to share that can help? Yeah. Um, and know. I think, I think it's interesting because we talked about, you know, the idea of um, divorce mentors. I also think that you need, basically, I just think mm. the whole world just needs to par- partner up in a really broad um, mentoring system. Mentoring, no lots, lots of mentors. <laughs> lots, lots of mentoring. Um, And and that's something I'm actually working um, with startup Mm. on because I know at the beginning when you first have this diagnosis, it's, it's such a shock. Um, I think, and it's, it's just, it is a journey of going from that and, and there is a grief that's involved in it. And it's Mm. almost like, I would say a guilty grief because Mm. no one ever wants their children to know that their parents want them to be anything other than exactly as they are. And in saying that, you also know what the world can be like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you don't want your child's life to be any harder than necessary. Um, and, you and you know, I, I'm not neurodiverse. And so I, I was, you know, just worried. I was, it's kind of, it just felt like being repetitively stabbed is how I would describe mm-hmm. the emotion. Yeah. Um, at the beginning because yeah. I think you're also being bombarded with so much medical information which is highly rational it's highly academic mm. but then there's this whole other side that's the emotional side that you're trying to process while you're mm. still you know getting minimal sleep because you've got young children and you're still having to do all this other stuff but just the emotional side of just being terrified of mm. what does it look like mm. and I think what would be really valuable is, is, and this is some of the work that I do with 
families when I find out often people say hey would it be okay if you could talk to my friend who's just at the stage is to let them know it is so much better than okay yeah it is so much better this life is so much better than just okay and it's an amazing life and the future for these children is just phenomenal and you just don't know that when you are first told that diagnosis and they're wanting to mm-hmm. layer all these therapy sessions on you and you've got occupational therapists and you've got language, speech language therapists and you've got everything under the sun. Mm-hmm. And I think also the thing is that once you're diagnosed with one thing, you very quickly just become this elaborate Venn diagram of have you also got dyspraxia? Have you also got um, sensory processing disorder? Have you got auditory processing disorder? And a, a lot for me was I get to the point where you say, is this going to change how I am parenting these children? Thank you so much for all of these additional labels and da, 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 da. (laughs) Is there a medication? Mm -hmm. Like, have we also got diabetes? Is Is there a medication? If so, fantastic, because I'm a huge believer in the value of medication when layered with those other therapies and things but Mm. if it's if it's just going to be another label that's not going to change how I'm parenting my child or my Mm. approach Mm. then where is the value in that Mm -hmm. I think there's value in the knowledge of knowing but um at the end of the day you Mm. want to just be able to parent your child as as very best so that they can be the the very best version of themselves Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing that we've been talking about that um, I'm also working on is this idea of happy hormones. So yeah, that's tell us about that. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's the idea and it fits really beautifully, I think, um, within New Zealand with um, um, a te ao Māori view of healthcare, which is the idea that it's not just your physical health. So that there are po, which are... Um, is what stabilizes your whare or your house. But it's the idea that it's absolutely, it's the physical health, but it's also your spiritual health. It's your family health yeah. and it's your mental health. Mm. And you need four really strong pillars yeah. to over, overall be in, in good health. Mm. You can't just treat the physical, like I was saying, even with the parents, you know, you can't just be giving us the physical information. You've also got to be thinking about, you know, our mental health and our emotional well-being. Mm. Mm-hmm. of us and our, our children because your child does not come separate from the family unit so it's, no. it's about all of that yeah um, and and one thing is is around the happy hormones and it's something so you think about and how I did it because again probably my background in PR and branding and things is I just think of it as a, <laughs> as a dose a dose of happiness because helpfully dose mm-hmm. um covers off the four happy hormones that you want to be looking to get right. um yeah, so those, those are the four different um, hormones. And there's lots of different ways that you and your children can get those. And it's about what I'm sort of working with with people on is it's different for each child. So I know, for example, with Elliot, I need to just add water. Like I always just think add water for that mm-hmm. kid. So it might be running a bath in the middle of the day for him really helps right. with his natural hormone levels. Um, it's clearly drinking water, um, taking them to a beach, um, right. kicking him out when it's mm. raining outside but for him mm. that's what that is whereas for Gus a lot of it is music um, right. and dancing to music like we have nightly dance parties because we have an amazing disco ball that shoots lights and the kid love that kid just loves any sensory mm. overload gets into a happy space and and for other other children it's like Hugh's a very physical child 
um his love language would basically just to be draped on me all day every day um <laughs> just wear him like a scarf just, you'd be happy <laughs> like some kind of seven and a half year old baby carrier that would be his <laughs> his ideal yeah me too yeah. though to be fair like I if they have adult size ones of those like I'm totally <laughs> happy to just <laughs> but he yeah yeah so, so his is hugging so they're very and, different right the across the three different. of them mm. That's a lot yeah. to be navigating. Okay, you need some touch. You need some water over here. You need some music, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Mm. But there's also, if you go online and, and you know, Pinterest and all these other amazing resources, there's, you know, there's printouts on them that suggest what they are. But it's just, it's kind of almost like a checklist. Like if I can see a kid, one of the kids is, is you know, not quite right. Mm. And I've kind of got that, you know, that mummy spidey sense. Then I'm yes. like, okay, you got your list. Go check your list. Which one of those are you going to do? Mm-hmm. because it's and it, but it's also for parents I think as well because we know if we are in the right space then mm-hmm. we can be our best selves for our children for our friends for our communities for our careers and so for me it's knowing that too so I things like just put an incredibly loud um music that I that I will play mm-hmm. for, <laughs> for yourself for myself and yeah. then children will still be talking at me but I can't hear because I'm listening to my music Mm-hmm. um it, it's it's knowing running for me is really important mm-hmm. um I'm that person that gets the running high it's knowing what it is for yourself um yeah. as well your list, yeah. making your list what do you call these lists have they been branded in a certain way well it's just your dose of happiness have you had your, your dose, dose of happiness that? list that you yes. you make have a list yeah I really mean, like that like even you know neurotypical kids could really get a lot from having a list like this everybody has bad days you know so oh, absolutely. Yeah. and I think having and a list. it is and it's about it's about teaching you know we want whole children going out into the world to become adults and part of that's about that knowing how to regulate yourself and you know no one wants to feel like crap and there are just having that kind of checklist of knowing, okay, but have I done this? And on those really busy days, being able to go, have I, have I done these things? Have I done these mm-hmm. things that I know um, put me in my um, best state? And, you know, I was talking about how there are quotes that I love. Um, mm-hmm. And another one for me is it's actually um, a Glennon um, Doyle quote, mm-hmm. but, um, and I think it speaks to, you know, helicopter parenting and all that stuff that we all naturally want to actually be doing. But paraphrasing, she said, our job as parents is not to shield our children from the fires in their lives. Mm -hmm. Our job is to point our children in the direction of those fires, Mm -hmm. walk them through them Mm -hmm. and show them that they're fireproof. There you go. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is, isn't it? Like don't send them off on their own to walk through the fire, but, or say that's not a fire. Um, yeah. That's another one. But it's not uh, and I think that's, that's <laughs> it. It's like, um, you know, people always talk about how children are really resilient. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. Children aren't resilient. People aren't resilient. The only way, I think people say that, particularly in my situation, to try to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm all about the truth and facing that. My feeling is that resilience is like a muscle rope the way that you build resilience is by having to go through scenarios that test you. It's literally like a carried and it's a bloody heavy weight, isn't it? But that's how you build that muscle is because you have to go through it. You can't, you can't, you can read as much as you want about it or lovely children books that, you know, talk to them about it. They become resilient because they have their resilient muscles built up. And the only way 
to do that is is, is to show them those fires and to say, mm. this is how we do hard things. I'll walk through mm. this with you. Mm. That's how you build resilient children, I believe. You said it. That is like boom, mic drop moment there. Thank you very much. That's awesome. Yeah, so... If people have been listening to you today, Penny, and are like, she's fantastic. I need to hear more from her. Can people get in touch with you? How can they do that if they want to ask yeah, you a question? Or, yeah. I'd love that. Um, probably the best space is either um, I've got an email account that people can feel free to email me on. And also you can find me on Instagram. So it's just um, Thompson underscore Penelope mm. is on Instagram. Whether, yeah, if you have a, an email you'd like to send Penny, please send it to me. I'll pass it on um, if it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll, we'll um, if anyone wants to touch with her. 2,000 pictures of my children. Uh, that's on <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your Instagram's pretty wild. There's some pretty wild stuff going on. <laughs> uh, uh, what the boys are getting up to and things. Yeah. yeah. And occasionally f- fabulous stuff like, yeah, hosting. Uh, helping to host uh what is it that music festival thing or yeah going on trips to australia which is so exciting yay and and speaking on a podcast from the hunter valley in my hotel totally right how how awesome is this yeah Yeah. japan connecting to the hunter valley today very good i've never been to hunter valley i've been to australia about six times but I I haven't either I haven't either so first time (laughs) yeah oh thank you so much for coming on the show today and being so honest and sharing your experience of many hard things that have happened over the last uh yeah well since since Elliot came along and particularly in the last four years yeah um but look at all this knowledge that you have now and um it's your time yeah it's your time to use that knowledge and and help others which i know you love to do so i absolutely love to do that oh thank you you're welcome thank you for having me